thank you for joining today's webinar. I'm Elizabeth Kerr from Business Forward, and I'll be moderating our conversation today. Currently, all lines are in listen-only mode. We're very pleased to welcome Dr. Ellen Hughes-Cromwick, who is the Chief Economist at the U.S. Department of Commerce, and Ed Kean, who is the Managing Director at PGIM, which is the Global Investment Management Business at Prudential Financial, a Business Forward member company. They're here to discuss the first quarter GDP estimate released by Commerce this morning. Uh, they also provide some analysis of key consumer sectors and how those may affect the fundamentals of the economy. There'll be, this is an interactive phone briefing, so after their presentation, we'll have time for questions. For those of you who are new to Business Forward, we organize local roundtables, Washington fly-ins, conference calls, webinars, and media trainings for tens of thousands of business leaders across America on a daily basis. At these briefings, entrepreneurs, investors, small business owners, executives all get the chance to brief policymakers on issues that affect their businesses, talk about how to create jobs and how Washington can do a better job working with businesses to accelerate the economy. Uh, more than 450 senior administration officials, members of Congress, and mayors and, gov and governors uh, participate in our programming. This is all thanks to the support of more than 50 of the world's most respected companies, including Prudential. Before we get started, I need to cover a few housekeeping items. First, uh, as part of the email confirmation that you received when you registered for the, this event, it says, join webinar here. Click on that link and you'll be able to see the presentation that goes along with the commentary that Ed and Ellen will provide. This presentation is also available on our website at businessfwd.org on the blog post on the website about this event, and that's right on the front page. As I mentioned, there will be time for questions and comments after Dr. Hughes Cromwick's and Mr. McKeon's remarks. You can participate in three different ways. Uh, these are all different ways you can ask a question or provide a comment. You can first, the easiest thing is just to press 1 at any time on your telephone keypad, and you'll be entered into the queue to ask a question live, and I'll just call on you when we get to that portion of the call. You can also email your question to us at info at businessfwd.org. Again, that email address is info at businessfwd.org. Or if you look to the right in your uh, webinar presentation, there's a chat window in the control panel, and you can just write your question there, and I can read it aloud for you. Again, uh, you can also just press 1 on your telephone keypad. When you, if you email us a question or you use the webinar format, please just let us know your name and where you're calling from and the name of your business. And if I call on you to ask a question live, we'd really appreciate it. If you could tell us, again, um, I'll have introduced you, but if you can tell us your name and your business and where you're calling from, we'd appreciate that. But finally, this call is on the record and there might be reporters present. That also means that we'll be able to provide a recording of the call afterward, and you'll receive that link in our follow-up email. So with that, I think we can get started. Please welcome Dr. Ellen Hughes-Cromwick and Ed Kean. Great. Thank you very much, and welcome, everyone. We're here to talk a little bit about the data that we just received at 8.30 a.m. Eastern Time uh, on the economy. If we go to the first slide, you'll see some key highlights from the report that was just released. For the first quarter of this year, GDP grew at an annual rate of just 0.5% as compared to the prior quarter. That's a relatively soft reading on the economy for the first three months of the year. It does compare to a 1.4% rate that was logged in the fourth quarter 
of last year. On a year-over-year -year basis, the economy is trending at about 2%, and that roughly matches what we saw at the end of last year. Looking uh, you know, just at all the different sectors of the economy and their performance, housing really is the bright spot. You can see in this tick point here, residential construction up nearly 15% in the first quarter. At the same time, business investment and exports were really a drag in the early part of this year. They, they were really taking the growth, the overall growth in the economy down somewhat. In sum, you know, the economic expansion is now uh, 27 quarters long. That is very long. Average annual growth rate since the expansion began in the second quarter of 2009 is now at 2.1%. That's the fourth longest expansion in history dating back to the mid-1800s. Let's go to the next slide, and you can see a summary of GDP growth track really since 2005. So I'm giving you here a 10-year look. And you can see roughly since this expansion began, the economy has tru trucked along at a 2 to 2.5% two pace. You can see that through 10, 2010 through 2015. And then in the first quarter of this year, again, 2016 performance in the first quarter compared to the first quarter of 2015, we're up at just uh, the 2.0% uh, rate. On the next slide, you'll see a key indicator that was released in the report this morning, consumer prices excluding the volatile food and energy components, or the core PCE index. And here you see an acceleration. In fact, in the first quarter of 16, on a year-over-year -year basis, this measure of inflation ticked up to 1.7%. So that actually is moving up now, and partly you know, because the overall economy in general has been progressing at a reasonable rate. Let's go to the next slide, and what I want to show you here is the contributions to GDP growth in the first quarter, i.e., where are the sectors where we did see a contribution to growth and where the drags were. As I mentioned, as you can see down uh, in the table here, in the first quarter, consumer spending, that first line there, contributed 1.3 percentage points to overall growth in the first quarter three months of the year. But then look at investment. So business investment, pretty much across the board. Overall non-residential investment, construction, equipment, they all subtracted from the pace of growth in the first uh, quarter of the year. Intellectual property, pretty much flat. And then you see that key item there, housing or residential investment. That actually was a positive. It contributed 0.5 points. And then government as well. But pretty much you can see inventories as a drag and net exports. So a pretty soft report for many of these components of the overall economy. Let's trip now to the next slide. Oh, go ahead, Ed. So uh, obviously a, a half a percent growth is a pretty weak number, um, but from the market's point of view, uh, this is really not unexpected. And if you look at a lot of the things on this slide five, you'll see that there are some things that are pretty clearly driven by some big uh, factors, especially the drop in energy prices, which has really uh, devastated 
investment in the energy sector. That's why that non-residential investment number is down so sharply that the kind of the mining sector, which includes oil, was down about 86%. And the other thing is the stronger dollar um, that, the, uh, that has hurt uh, growth over the last couple of quarters. So in both those things, uh, there's reason to believe that things are getting better. So there was a, a, been a modest pickup in oil prices, so the drop in expenditures for uh, investment there should probably be over. Uh, the dollar has actually weakened a bit, including today, um, from where it was uh, a year ago. So some of these things are pretty clearly temporary. Plus, there's been a kind of a controversy among economists about Q1 numbers seem chronically to be weak. We're not really sure exactly why, but that may be part of what's at play here. So even though these numbers are pretty poor, and if you look at um, midway through the quarter, the stock market was down sharply, and there were people who were worried about recession. In fact, I would even argue that part of the reason why the numbers were weak and consumption was a little bit weak was because of that drop in the stock market in the first six weeks or so of the year. But I think in all, in all cases, it's, it's likely that those uh, headwinds are, are dissipating already, and we'll still start to see a little bit of a recovery in Q2 and in the, in the rest of the year. As Alan pointed out, I think we're still looking at a, a kind of a normal growth rate or somewhere in the vicinity of 2%, so I'm not exactly blowing the doors off. But this, this week uh, quarterly number, I, I think, is a bit of an aberration that has some special factors at work. And I would expect that um, we would see a, a bit of a pickup in the second quarter and throughout the rest of the year back towards that kind of 2% trend rate. Alan, sorry for the interruption. Go ahead. No, that's great. Thanks, Ed. Let's, let's go to the next slide. And um, here you'll see uh, just some of the fundamentals I want to lay out for you on consumer spending. Uh, you know, did come down a little bit. You can see that 2.7% growth rate in the first quarter. And again, that's as compared to the first quarter of 2015. So it's a year-over-year -year pace. Has come off just a little bit uh, as compared to 2015. Some of that softness uh, or decline, I should say, in the pace of growth was attributed to some you know, pause in terms of the uh, improvements in durable goods categories, uh, we did see services still uh, uh, behave pretty pretty well in the first quarter of this year. So overall consumer spending though, you know, above 2.5% here in the first quarter. On the next slide, you'll see some of the uh, points I think that Ed was talking about underneath the hood on investment spending. And here you see real business fix. So this includes non-residential, taking out the housing piece. And you can see here on a year-over-year -year basis, we actually are down 0.4%. And to be sure, a lot of that is the consolidation that we've seen in terms of oil and gas uh, extraction with oil rig counts down uh, by two-thirds compared to the peak in uh, 2014. So we have seen a drawdown in CapEx in, in particular in the oil and gas related uh, uh, industry. And that really, you can see here, it has been a drag compared to that 6.2% uh, growth rate in 2014. On the next slide, if you could go to that, what, what I want to show you here is some of the uh, trends within uh, that non-residential uh, CapEx. And you can see here, again, mixed. On the left-hand panel, that shows the construction. And clearly, the oil and gas influence there has been sizable. In the first quarter of 16, 
seen, we are down about 4% on a year-over-year -year basis. So that, that has been a drag to the overall economy as we've seen the adjustment to the lower oil price uh, and, and difficulties there in terms of the marginal cost of uh, a break-even for our um, oil and gas fracking. And then in the middle uh, section on equipment, you can see, too, the influence of oil and gas. We're down now on a year-over-year -year basis at point by 0.3%. Uh, on intellectual property, at a 2.2% growth rate year over year. So that also has trended uh, weaker. Uh, next slide, please. And uh, you know, just to kind of close out with the with the bright stop spot, we have seen incoming indicators really start to show, you know, an ever improving growth profile for um, housing. And here you see on a year over year basis, housing up by 10.6 percent. Ed, do you want to add some comments uh, at this point? Well, I think the the housing part is a bright spot for the quarter, but. Um, one of the things that's happening underneath the surface is, uh, is that the aging of America is affecting economic activity. There's been a shift in both income uh, and wealth into older hands over the past 10 years or so. And uh, so you know, that's not necessarily related to residential expenditures, but you'll notice that, for example, in this quarter, there was an increase in the savings rate. Uh, the increase in, in personal consumption expenditures was well below the increase in disposable income. And, uh, and I think you're seeing a little bit more cautious behavior out of consumers simply because consumers are older and the, the money is in older hands. So 2% um, overall, and I, it doesn't seem like a great rate compared to the, the 3 3.5% we saw maybe in the, in the post-World War II period. But in, a, in an aging uh, U.S. and an aging world with the money in older hands and people being a bit more cautious, it's probably not a great surprise. And again, the, the, although the, the weak weaknesses in this quarter uh, come from things that I think are mostly temporary, you also saw a drop in a drag from inventory drawdown. Inventory drawdown is a good thing for the future, but it, it hurts their immediate numbers. And the savings rate also, uh, uh, increase in savings rate is a good thing for the longer run, but in the short run it pulls numbers down. So it's, uh, yes, housing is definitely the bright spot in this report. Uh, but even if you look at the weak spots in this report, mostly I think there are things that are temporary and that actually bode reasonably well for the longer term. That's great. I've got one more slide, and maybe we could talk about the international uh, you know, environment for business. We have seen weakness in export demand, and that has uh, depressed overall uh, pace of the economy in the recent period. Here you can see export growth at 0.3% in the first quarter as compared to the first quarter of 2015. And compared to the kind of recovery that we've seen in this economic expansion, that is a subpar uh, performance. Now, as I think Ed pointed out, we have had some headwinds associated with the strong dollar. The dollar has been on a trade-weighted basis up quite measurably, uh, well over 20% if we take out the effect of inflation uh, since 2011. And that dollar improvement really was reflected in the fact that we've had an economy that has been expanding. And to be sure, it's actually outperformed a lot of other major 
major markets in the global economy. At the same time, that dollar strength does mean that our goods and services on average can, uh, you know, can be a, a little bit less competitive uh, on, uh, you know, on a run rate basis. And that, that I think has been reflected here in this uh, somewhat weaker uh, growth track. As well, we know that just in the last couple of years we've seen the global economy slow down. And uh, the latest estimates according to IMF show that global economic growth is really coming down toward that kind of 3 to 3.5% three range, which is uh, weaker than what we saw, uh, you know, even just two years ago. Ed, did you want yeah, to comment a little bit on the global side? Sure. If we had somebody from Treasury on the line, I'm sure they would say that a strong dollar is in the best interest of the United States, which of course is true. A strong dollar makes Americans richer. But on the other hand, it does, it's not an unalloyed good. It has negative effects. Uh, we, we're obviously seeing it this quarter on, on exports. That also has a drag on corporate earnings, which uh, uh, has, is one of the reasons why the stock market has been relatively flat over the past uh, year, 18 months or so. But again, both those things have eased. Uh, the dollar is uh, still pretty strong, but it has weakened a bit against uh, several currencies over the course of the past uh, few months or so. So the, the drag from a stronger dollar on exports and the boost of a stronger dollar on imports, which uh, uh, it's the net exports that feeds into GDP, so that's part of the reason why this, this quarter is weak. Those things uh, should start to ease as the dollar has, um, has weakened a bit. So um, Having a, a generally a strong currency is very good. It helps hold down inflation. It uh, gives increased purchasing power for Americans. But in the short run, it also does have a bit of a negative effect on GDP and earnings. And uh, those, those negative effects are, are easing a bit, and that will make the, the GDP growth numbers, and, and especially the earnings growth numbers, which is what investors care about, should start looking a little better in the second half of 2016. So with that, maybe That's we great. can uh, take um, some questions. Yeah, let's just go to the next slide and open it up. I think we've got some questions that have come in. Um, yeah, we do. Um, I think the first question here was an emailed question. Um, you mentioned an increase in oil prices helping the economy, uh, but I tend to think, uh, says Jim, I tend to think of lower fuel prices as beneficial for my input prices and making them lower. Could you talk a little bit more about that relationship between oil and the stock market? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we just talked about this in the, in the course of the dollar, and it's a similar story in that you get something which is uh, good or bad for the economy as a whole, but it also has, uh, has mixed effects in the short run. So in the case of, of this GDP report, the weaker dollar contributed to a plunge. As I recall, it was, as I said, 86% drop in, uh, in uh, investment spending in the, in the mining sector, which includes oil and gas. And, uh, so the, and because the United States is a much bigger oil producer than it was just a few years ago, uh, an increase in the price of oil helps people who are producing oil. However, as the questioner rightly points out, uh, at the same time, lower oil prices have been a boon for consumers who are saving money at the pump and a boon for businesses who are spending a lot of money on energy. So it's a mixed blessing, but in the, course, in the case of this particular report, the drop in energy prices because of its drop in investment spending has had a significant negative impact and, and also the corporate earnings overall because the, the stock market is more weighted towards uh, energy uh, than, 
the general economy is, uh, a, a, drive, a drop in the price of oil has had a negative effect on corporate profits, and the, the, the ease of that is, um, is going to help. I would actually suggest that we're heading towards kind of a sweet spot for oil prices where they're, they're, they're not so low that they discourage investment and development of the industry in the United States, but they're not so high that they serve as a negative for consumer confidence and consumer spending. Yeah, I guess I would add a little bit to that because I think the question uh, does signal you know, a really important assessment that a lot of businesses, if this is an input cost, the fact that oil and, and gas and other uh, commodities have come down in price, that's a benefit because the input costs and the pricing there you know, flows through and, and really helps businesses. I do think that because the um, production of oil and gas in the U.S. economy has increased substantially since 2009 on a sequential basis as oil prices came down. We saw that affect uh, that, that negative drag on investment and production of, of oil. And we've seen some regional impacts uh, in Texas and, and uh, some of the areas where the oil and gas fracking is uh, prominent. At the same time then now as this progresses, I think we are seeing a benefit and I do think in general there is a net benefit associated with lower energy prices for the economy. It's just the sequence of how it's impacting the economy is that oil prices come down. For example, if you look at personal income for consumers and you take out taxes and you take out the effect of inflation, we're now running at almost 3% growth rate of income. And another piece insight in this report is that the saving rate has actually gone up. So consumers are actually benefiting from the lower oil prices. We may not have seen the full effect of how that will affect uh, consumer spending going forward, but that, that, that's certainly a positive development in the consumer sector and again, lower costs for businesses that use energy in their production process. Yeah, the rise in the U.S. Uh, energy industry has really changed a lot of things in both the economy and the market. So for example, it, those of us of a certain age remember the 70s and early 80s where there was a strong negative relationship between oil prices and the stock market, oil prices up, stock market down. And in the last year or so, there's been a, about a 0.9 positive correlation between energy prices and stock market. That is, oil prices up, stock prices up. So it's, that, it's the emergence of the U.S. energy sector has changed relationships in a fundamental way. Now, that, that relationship between oil and stock prices has weakened a little bit over the past few weeks and I suspect is, is not going to be as strong as it has been over the past year. But nonetheless, it just shows how complicated or complex or how changing some of the relationships have been as a result of the tremendous growth in U.S. oil and gas production. Uh, thanks. This is kind of a similar question. Could you talk about the – oh, I'll just remind everybody how, first how to ask a question. Thanks, Shumway. Um, if you have a question for us, press 1 on your keypad or you can email that to us at info at businessfwd.org, or again, put it in your chat window. Uh, you can just press 1 on your phone as well. Um, another uh, emailed question, could you talk about the relationship between reduced spending and inventory drawdown? These seem to be, indicate opposite trends. 
Oh, that's a great question. And you know, in the first half of 2015, we saw a sizable increase in stock build. Inventories moved up substantially, over a hundred billion dollars at an annual rate in both the first and second quarters of, of 2015. And since then, you know, what we've seen is that businesses have tried to really ratchet down that stock bill to move it down to more desired levels. And consequently, you know, that looks to have continued into the first quarter of this year. Consequently, so you see inventories right sizing from a business standpoint and companies just being uh, uh, very prudent with regard to spending, CapEx in particular, given where they see the growth rate in their end markets, where their customer demand is. And I think that balancing act is really, uh, really shows up in today's report. Again, just to sum up, some drawdown in inventories because we just bulked up very, very high in the first half of 15 and that, that uh, downsizing is continuing into the first, uh, or at least continued, I should say, into the first quarter. But that does set the stage for, you know, better, uh, uh, yeah, a better handle going forward because if we've gotten to the point where businesses have right-sized inventories, that will be less of a drag in the future. Ed, did you want to add to that? No, I think that's, that's pretty much exactly correct. There have been some ups and downs in the economy and, uh, and maybe production had picked up a little bit more than was necessary about a year ago. And that means you had to pull, uh, pull inventories down. You combine that with what's been a solid but still somewhat cautious consumer and uh, you get too high inventory. So that had to be corrected. It has been corrected the last couple of quarters. And I suspect that negative inventory drag will be uh, maybe even a positive as we go to the second half of this year. Uh, great, thanks. You guys have talked a little bit about the international situation, and Ed, you mentioned uh, the news out of Japan this morning. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and how it might affect things moving forward? Yeah, I, I won't go too much. So Japan's uh, central bank today basically said that they were not going to be as aggressive as, as the market expected, and the Japanese market was down sharply, the Japanese currency rally. So there's a, um, there's a strong international or global component to economic activity in the United States, which isn't necessarily apparent in some way. So if you look at imports and exports in the United States, they're less than 9% of GDP, uh, as opposed to Europe, where typically they're over 30%. So we are largely uh, a domestically oriented economy. But at the same time, our stock market is much more international. So the typical S&P 500 company gets more than a third of its business outside the United States. So uh, what happens around the world has an effect both on our markets and on the economy that maybe is greater than you might think of from looking at just the GDP report. So let's face it, the rest of the world has been fairly weak in the developed markets like Japan and Europe. Uh, emerging markets are still growing at a, what a, looks like a pretty rapid rate, but a slower rate than they were a few years ago. Uh, China's down to kind of 6 7% growth officially versus the double digits they had a few years ago. So we have a slower growth um, global environment, and the U.S. growth at about 2%, although it looks disappointing compared to the post-World War II era, relative to the rest of the world where 
in many cases, Europe is growing well below that. Japan is struggling to generate positive economic growth with our trading partners and our allies growing more slowly. It's one of the reasons why our growth is a bit slow. You combine that with the demographics of an aging world uh, in Japan and parts of Europe, not only is the population aging rapidly, it's starting to shrink. It means that a lot of the old metrics that we're used to looking at are going to be a little different. They're going to be a little slower, a little more difficult to make progress compared to most of the last 50 or 60 years. Thanks. Um, we've now got a follow-up from Arnold on our energy discussion, and he says that it's important to it's 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 important to recognize that the economy is really dependent on fossil fuels, um, but it should be clear that fossil fuels are declining, and uh, due to a realization that um, that we might reduce our reliance on them due to climate disruption. Um, to offset, and he asks to offset the loss in growth due to the decline in use in prices of fossil energies, we could ramp up energy in clean investments. Do you, and maybe this is more of a question for Alan, um, do you anticipate um, any changes either in the United States or around the world um, for in government leaders thinking or maybe even for the private sector to recognize this change and how will that affect the economy? Well, I think there are major efforts underway. As you know, the uh, climate uh, negotiations from the last of, uh, end of last year and now has been signed, that there, there are uh, significant efforts underway to ensure that we build out clean energy uh, businesses and uh, m major undertaking. And I think a lot of uh, really positive uh, developments in terms of ensuring that we have alternative uh, fuel sources for the future. So I think there's a lot of attention to that. And uh, I do think that with the recent act that was passed uh, that will uh, promote evidence-based policy making, that there will be a lot of good analytics put to play to ensure that we have appropriate policies going forward. Yeah, Ed, do you have anything to add to that, yeah, the private sector piece? Yeah, I guess a couple of quick things. First, the, uh, although uh, the, eventually the uh, share of the economy that's dependent on oil glass is likely to re re decline, uh, it's still very high and it's going to decline fairly slowly. But the other thing is that the economics of alternative energies actually have been improving quite a bit, especially solar, so that they are less dependent on, um, on government incentives for, uh, for growth. That is, that the economics are such that in certain parts of the country now, solar is not only competitive but actually cheaper than other ways of generating electricity. So uh, that's, that's good news in the longer run for uh, consumers, I think, and for the economy as well, as if um, you have genuinely competing alternatives, which both are not dependent on fossil fuels but also uh, are just a good, a good cost-effective choice, then that's, uh, that's positive overall in my view. Thanks. Our next question kind of goes back to that export slide. Maybe we should go back to that. Um, will export, uh, with export demand waning, could that change with TPP or the other trade agreements that the administration is working on? Well, there are many efforts. This is Ellen. Uh, great question. We have many initiatives underway uh, to ensure that we, we have uh, good support for our exporting businesses. You may be aware that uh, we partnered 
with uh, Germany for the latest very blockbuster uh, Hanover Messe industry trade fair and many of our companies were shining bright at the trade fair over the last week in particular uh, because they are showing that they've got many different products that are that are uh, going to be really important for future global markets. So I think there's a lot of momentum to build to ensure that we can expand exports. As you know, the global economy is in a little bit of a soft patch, but we've got many countries that are in the takeoff stage of economic development. They will be growing their middle classes over time, and that certainly will support a lot of opportunity for our domestic businesses to look at those uh, export markets of the future. So this, this has got to be a very important part of our economy and our place in the global economy. We have great businesses that can take advantage of these opportunities as we look out over the next uh, five to ten years. Yeah, exports, Ed, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, in the short run, exports are going to continue to be weak because it takes a while for uh, the, the effects of the somewhat weaker dollar to, to play into export numbers. So it's going to continue to be, be weak. But also, remember that the export statistics that we look at here uh, reflect kind of an you know, old view of how the economy works. In many ways, the United States' best exports are things that don't really show up in the GDP statistics. Uh, uh, our ideas and our way of doing things, our design work, which is exported around the world, and in some cases, the um, the actual physical materials uh, like technology and so forth are made outside the United States, but they're based on ideas that we send over there and which we profit from through our companies and through our stock market. So I think um, it maybe it points a little bit of a pessimistic picture in the short run that exports have been weak, but I think in the longer run you will see not only better growth in the economic statistics, but also you really see that uh, the power of American ideas to generate profitable growth around the world is, is actually still very strong, if any, anything as strong as it's ever been. Uh, great. And this, is, this will be our last question. Um, at its January meeting, the Federal or its meeting earlier this quarter, uh, the Federal Reserve announced it wouldn't raise interest rates due to slowing growth. Uh, do you foresee that decision to have a continued impact on the economy? Do you expect them to uh, make other announcements about interest rates? Well, the Fed has made it clear that they're data-driven, and uh, the data that we're just looking at obviously is pretty weak. But at the same time, I think you will see a bit of a pickup. You did see the core PCE number, uh, as Ellen mentioned, did pick up in this report, which uh, is, the, is the inflation measure that the Fed pays most attention to. So uh, it's my guess that we will see, it's just my guess, uh, I might add, that we will see an uh, interest rate hike uh, this year, uh, possibly as early as June. Uh, but I don't think you're going to see, in my personal opinion, I don't think you're going to see interest rates head, high, head much higher than this. I think it's going to be difficult to get the Fed funds rate much above 1% uh, because I do think the underlying economy is still growing modestly. I think uh, underlying inflationary pressures are still relatively weak. But I think it is reasonable to expect that uh, you will see at least one Fed increase this year and maybe more than that as we get towards the end of the year. Ellen, anything to add? 
No, that's uh, no, nothing to add to Ed's comments. Great. Well, that is all the time we have for today. So thanks to everyone who took the time to join us this morning. Please join us this coming Wednesday for a conference call with HHS Secretary Sylvia Burwell. She'll talk about health insurance costs, the slowed rise in health care costs, and how all of that affects American businesses. Uh, please check your email for a post-event survey where you can let us know what you thought of today's call. We really do appreciate your feedback. Uh, we'll also include a link to, the, to a recording of today's call and some additional resources. So uh, thanks again to Dr. Ellen Hughes-Cromwick, the Chief Economist at the U.S. Department of Commerce, and uh, Mr. Ed Kean from PGIM and all of you who joined us. We look forward to working with you again soon. Have a good morning and afternoon. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.